Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 180 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you, Lykey Davis on Trance Living. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting in the chair next to me is nobody, because the Beast is under the weather tonight. But on Skype with me is Lykey. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm really glad that you're here with me tonight because uh, I met you in Atlanta at Frolicon this year, and you have a lot of stuff going on. I'm I'm impressed. Yes, I do. (laughs) So let's give a little bit of background about yourself. Tell the listeners about you. So I'm a 42-year-old trans woman. I um, have 17 years experience as an educator, but I found that job rather difficult um, post-transition. So after I transitioned, I decided to um, become an activist and really um, try to focus my work in the LGBT community and specifically the trans community. I very quickly kind of found myself um, all tangled up in issues of sexual health and uh, sexual disease transmission. Specifically because of the lifestyle in LGBT or what? Well, there's just a really high prevalence rate within the trans community for particularly HIV. Um, And then just in general, um, there's some high risk factors with the LGBT community. And then, of course, I live um, in Atlanta, which is a hotbed of um, HIV at the moment. I guess I didn't realize that HIV was that prevalent in Atlanta. Um, Yes, it is. I think think. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I think it's number five in the country. Goodness. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty um, significant uh, population of people living with HIV in Atlanta, and we're still trying to get to everybody so that we can give them a diagnosis and get them on treatment. Is it mostly because people are unknowing and sharing the viral problem, or how does that work? Well, there is a lot of stigma attached to HIV, and I think that that kind of leads people to not getting tested um, and not being honest with themselves, their partners, or their medical professionals about what their risks really are. And if you're not tested, if, if you don't know your status, then it's really difficult to prevent the disease from spreading past the individual who doesn't know. Like once we can get somebody tested and we can get a status confirmed, We can get them on treatment if they're positive that will prevent them from spreading the virus. And if they're negative and they're at high risk, we can get them on treatments that will prevent them from catching the virus. So like right now, the the work really is in getting a diagnosis and treatment. Depending on what risk group you're in depends on how often you want to be checked, right? I don't like to think of it in terms of risk groups. I like to think of it in terms of like risk factors. I I don't want to say like, you know, that homosexual men are a high risk group because if homosexual um, men are monogamous and they know each other's status, they're not really high risk at all. 
Whereas if you're a heterosexual um, man and you don't know your status and you're having people um, sex with lots of people, you might be at, at high risk. So it's not so much about like what group you belong to. It's about what risk you have in your life. I think I was probably referring more to the lifestyle risk group as opposed to the demographic. Yeah, I think within um, the lifestyle community, I run into a lot of people who are, are just not aware or they think that what they learned in the 1990s is the status of things now and therefore like haven't kept up with what's current about um, particularly HIV, but just STIs um, in general. So I think people um, who haven't lived at the cutting edge of particularly the HIV outbreak and just have stopped thinking about it and are living off of knowledge that's outdated. Well, you know, stick your head in the ground and everything will be fine, right? Yes, I think that's a, a lot of it. Yeah, that goes along with not paying your taxes and other things. So <laughs> something's going to bite you in the ass at some point. So getting tested you know, on a regular basis, I am sexually active in a poly relationship. And so I go out and get tested twice a year, for sure, like clockwork. It's always pre-scheduled. And, you know, I always get an eye roll from my doctor, but that's okay. It's my health, not his. And we have to take command of our well-being and our partner's well-beings. The recommendation right now is that everybody is tested uh, once a year. So for those that are at higher risk, multiple times a year is certainly uh, a wise thing to do. Um, I highly recommend four times a year. That's going to like really give you the best opportunity if you become infected to catch the virus early and get on treatment early and prevent you from spreading the virus to somebody else. So it's like early treatment is key to prevention. Okay, let's talk about the path to getting tested. I know under private medical insurance, even the deductible is fairly uh, expensive for a full panel of tests. What are you doing? Certainly insurance um, plays a, a part, and what is covered is going to play a part in what you're able to do. Most of the country where there's um, a large urban center, there's going to be um, places that will conduct STI and HIV screening for low cost or free. So, for example, in Atlanta, we have several um, providers that will do uh, an HIV test and a basic STI panel, which would be chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, and sometimes TRICH, and they'll do that free of charge. And I noticed you left out HSV simply because it's false so many times. HSV is one that generally you're going to have to ask um, to be tested for if that's what you want. Um, if you go in and you ask the doctor for an STI panel, they're probably not going to include um, HSV unless you have um, some symptoms that make them think that that might be the case or you've had some exposure that makes them think that that might be the case. That's generally true. Uh, my doctor says unless I have, if I've been with somebody that has uh, open lesions or something, they say don't even, you know, worry about it. But you have to be proactive. Yeah. When you're dealing with um, HSV, which is uh, what we commonly call herpes, and HPV, 
which is the virus that causes both uh, genital warts and can cause cancer. Um, those two viruses are problematic in terms of prevention. Fortunately, with um, HPV, we have a vaccine that you can get, and that vaccine will prevent um, you from contracting the nine most common strains of HPV or the nine. It's a combination of the most common strains and the most dangerous strains. And that's a they go into that. very easy vaccination for um, the young ones out there. Uh, get, get it early. Yeah. Unfortunately, in the States, the recommendation that is put onto the label is 26 and under. Right. Um, however, in Europe, that um, recommendation goes much higher. In some places, there is no upper limit. Uh, you know, the bean counters are basically just trying to get the most bang for their buck. And if they can get somebody vaccinated before any exposure, then the vaccine is going to have the best results. Whereas if you hit somebody at 40 with the vaccine, they may already have two of those strains. And so you're not getting the same effectiveness out of the vaccine because it can't deal with strains that you already have. It's definitely preventative. Yeah. Right. Um, however, the chances that you've got all nine strains, you know, that's pretty slim. So like it would be effective um, for preventing, you know, the strains that you don't have. Um, and we're actually starting to look into whether or not um, the HPV vaccine has some um, results in terms of treatment as well. So that's something that's being studied. We don't have any evidence for right now, but it might be something in the future that we, we look at. Um, it is possible. I've had um, the HPV vaccine and I got it at 40. Um, so it is possible if you uh, present the information in terms of your risk to the doctor and they prevent it um, in terms of like uh, medically necessary, that you can still get the HP vaccine if you're older than 26. But it just requires you and your doctor to kind of get your heads together and, and figure out how to get the insurance company to give to give you the vaccine if that's something you want. Um, unfortunately with HSV, there's no vaccine, um, but there are some effective treatments that do reduce the, um, the ability of the virus to replicate. And so individuals who are taking that, um, medication and generally it's acyclovir, they're going to have, um, uh, they're going to be less likely to transmit the virus to somebody else and they're less likely to have multiple outbreaks. So if um, your partner is positive for HSV, but they're on acyclovir, the risk that they pose to you go down greatly. Um, and we're also exploring whether or not we can use uh, acyclovir antivirals like acyclovir as a prophylactic uh, measure. So you could take uh, the acyclovir before exposure to protect you. Um, again, that's off-label, so that's something that would have to be discussed between you and your doctor, but it's something that is being done. Um, the real you know, difficulty with both of those viruses, HSV and HPV, is that they are transmitted skin to skin. And so, um, you know, we generally think if you put a condom on it, you're, you know, you're doing good. But in terms of HSV and HPV, the virus can live um, – 
in places where the condom doesn't cover. And so it could be around the base of the penis or on the outside of the vagina. And the condom's not covering that. So um, for anyone who's having sex, um, HPV and HSV are real risk. Um, and they are very prevalent in the society. Um, and most people that have either HSV or HPV, they don't know it because they're asymptomatic, which means they don't have any symptoms. But just because they're um, asymptomatic, there's no symptoms, doesn't mean that they're not transmitting the virus. Um, so, you know, I recommend the use of condoms because they greatly reduce the risk of HPV and HSV. But if it's something you're really concerned about, um, like you might want to consider an internal condom, which covers um, more area outside the vagina. You can even use them for anal play, and it covers more area outside the ass and provides more protection. Well, that's really good advice. Uh, you know, I know people that have contracted herpes, uh, even using condoms, and just for the reasons that you had uh, brought out there. And so... It's knowing your partner is probably one of the real keys to safe sex, uh, knowing what their risk group is. Yeah, yeah, that, that's um, certainly important. Um, but I, I really advocate for taking control of that all on your own and not putting that burden completely on your partner. I think when you, we think of it in terms of, you know, what risk does my partner bring to the table that sometimes we push people away who otherwise might be really great partners for us? You know, someone who is positive for HSV, you know, you might be like, I can't do that. Or um, someone who's HIV positive and you uh, sort, so they say they're positive, so you don't have sex with them. And you're, you know, closing the door on a lot of people that might make for great sex partners I like to think of it in terms of, yeah, what is not only your responsibility as my partner, but also what's my responsibility to not just my partner, but my community. I'm tested four times a year for everything that's relevant. And that's not just protecting me and providing me with treatment opportunities. It's protecting everyone that I'm having sex with, because if I'm treated, then I'm less contagious in many cases, not contagious at all with HIV. If you're under treatment, undetectable, you're not contagious at all. I don't ask people what their status is. I don't really ask people what their risk factors are. I just assume that everybody has everything, and I take the precautions that I think would um, prevent me from catching anything that they might have and that would prevent me from giving them anything that I might have. I just assume that we're all, we all have everything. And if I'm doing something that puts me at risk, then it's just a risk that I find acceptable. Well, we are in a risk-aware community. Yes. I like to turn the conversation inward. And it's like, what, what are you doing to protect yourself, your partner, and your community? Are you committed 100% to condoms? Are you um, treating anything that you might be positive for? Are you getting tested routinely? Are you on medications that prevent you from 
catching something or giving something? Are you vaccinated? Or are you just going around with your head in the sand? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, a real problem. That's what I did for 40 years in a way is I just didn't think about in any real terms what what was going on in my life. And, and now I, I think about it and try and be proactive in my behavior. Being informed is probably the most important thing. So be informed of your own status, be informed of your, your partners, and, and make sure you take precautions to, to keep everything clean, clean and tidy and nice. <laughs> yeah, I really don't like that, that term, clean. <laughs> I'm being facetious. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, you know, first of all, what's the point of asking other people their status if you don't know your own? Oh, yeah. You know, it starts at home. Yeah. So we want to know our status and then anything that we might have, we want to be treated for. And then we want to know what our risks are and take appropriate precautions. And I think once by the time you are getting to the point that you're asking other people their status is you need to not just, you know, know what that means in terms of risk, but also know how you can work with that or work around it so that we don't use that question of what's your status as a way of locking people out of the community, if that made sense. I know that's a a lot. Yeah, it, it does make sense. And your message is very solid. And, you know, people need to heed the warnings, the procedures, the cautions, and have fun and have friends and have lovers. Yeah. To be so afraid to open the door is not going to lead to a very interesting life. Absolutely. We live in a a day, particularly with um, HIV, where, you know, being positive and negative are really not the thing they used to be. You know, I think in terms of HIV equality, um, you know, what matters to me is not so much what your status is, but what's your plan. Like, are you on an antiretroviral? And if you are, then you're either protected from transmitting the virus because antiretrovirals will bring you down to uh, what's referred to as undetectable, uh, meaning that there's not enough virus in your bloodstream to transmit the virus. And we really have no cases in any study of someone who is undetectable passing the virus on to somebody else. And if you're negative and you're taking your um, ART, your antiretroviral, as PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, then likewise, it's very difficult for the virus to take hold in someone that is adhering to their treatment regimen. And so, like, I just want to know, you know, you don't need to tell me whether you're positive or negative, you know. I just want to know, are you using, in terms of HIV, are you using condoms 100% of the time? Are you on preventative preventative treatment or treat? Well, really, it's both preventative, whether you're taking the ART as PrEP or you're taking it to get that undetectable status. Um, You know, I just want to know, if you're on the ART, great, that's all I need to know. If you're using condoms, great. That's all I need to know. There's other things that we need to talk about. Like, have you been vaccinated for hepatitis? Um, well, yeah, hepatitis. And um, if you've been vaccinated for HPV, 
like those are the conversations I want to have. You know, if it's going to be, um, if it's going to go in that direction, that's the conversation I want to have. Is I'm I'm not so much worried about somebody's HIV status. I'm worried about somebody's plan and is their plan compatible with mine? Because if their plan is not compatible with mine, I don't need to know their personal medical data. It's just not going to work because our plans aren't compatible. That's all good advice. And there's one other key factor. Uh, Don't fuck crazy. (laughs) You know, Uh, a little sanity check here. I certainly have uh, gone down the wrong road on that one a couple times. Came away with a mind disease. We um, certainly need to be cognizant of what the people who we're having um, relationships with, whether sexual or emotional, bring to the table. Um, And not just in terms of disease transmission. Like, you know, when I do my sexual health talks, a lot of times, you know, I want to talk about, you know, consent and other issues of sexual health, you know. If I'm having a conversation with somebody and their rules of consent don't match mine, like that's just not going to happen. Like, you know, there's other things that go into having a healthy sex life besides just, you know, worrying about HIV and STIs. We got to worry about the, you know, the relationship health. And we worry about like our own uh, internal health, you know, a lot. It's not just, you know, people aren't thinking about HIV. I think a lot of people are running around not thinking about, you know, breast cancer, testicular cancer, uh, colon rectal cancer. These are all things that if you want to have a healthy sex life, you have to be aware of and actively working to um, protect your, your sexual health. It all goes back to knowing yourself and getting tested you know, going to a doctor, getting a physical, check out, see what's going on, you know, because we might be best of friends and, and lovers here at some point, but if I don't take care of myself and I end up with cancer and things like that, I'm not going to be very good in a relationship. Right. And, you know, we need to expect our doctors to ask those questions, but we also need to not wait for them to ask. I was 40 years old before anyone ever approached the subject of getting a test. And it wasn't a doctor who started that conversation. Um, I think that's sad because I've been living a sexually active life for most of my adult life before I transitioned as a bisexual man. But, you know, my doctors never inquired about my sexual practices and therefore never offered a test. They just assumed that, um, you know, I was straight and there was nothing to worry about. They they probably also assume that you're just celibate and you don't have sex because most doctors assume that uh, for for some crazy reason. It wasn't until I was in the lifestyle for a number of years that I actually went to a doctor and said, how about an STI test? And the doctor goes, oh, do you need one? Hell, I don't know. Do I? Of course I do. I think, you know, we expect our doctors to ask us the right questions. And sometimes um, we need to ask the doctors the right questions or not even wait for the question to be asked. Just tell them what you need. I I don't wait for my doctor to tell me what vaccines I might need. I stay aware and I get the vaccines that I feel are appropriate and I ask for them. I think it's very appropriate for people who are sexually active to get the meningitis vaccine. Um, And so I didn't wait for the doctor to offer that. I asked for it. I also think like if, you know, you're 
in an environment where you might be um, sexually active with people who are HIV positive, I think it's very important to the community health that you have your pneumonia vaccine. I think there's um, a lot of things that, you know, we can proactively uh, do to learn and then take that into the doctor's office and start the conversation with them. And once you train a doctor, you say you really want to know about yourself, then they will fall into line and say, uh, yeah, get that pneumonia shot, get the shingles vaccine, all, all these sorts of things. And now when I go to the doctor, you know, they're always offering things that I should consider as opposed to in the past where it's like, yeah, you look healthy, move on. Yeah, I'm familiar with that treatment. Now I have a relationship with my medical health provider in which the conversation usually begins with, well, this is what's going on and this is the things I wanted to talk about and I wanted to consider. And then at the end of the visit, it's, did I leave something out? Is there something that I should have asked you or something I should be considering that we didn't speak about? So like I, I want to take charge of my health and I want to encourage other people to do the same. Well, it's uh, it's very true. If we don't take care of ourselves, nobody else is going to. That is absolutely the case. Likey, I want to thank you for being with us this evening and, and sharing you know some real insight into our own sexual health. And this is the things that we need to take care of. You know, clean up your own house before you get out and play with others. Because if you go out spreading things around, you're not going to be very popular, and it could be very badly taken. There is some legal issues about spreading various viruses, isn't there? Yeah, that's a state-by-state issue. Um, in the state of Georgia, it's primarily um, HIV that is criminalized. And I think a lot of people assume that those laws help protect the population, but they actually have the opposite effect of discouraging people from getting tested. And so we, we don't want there to be any barrier to somebody getting tested, because if we can get them tested, we can get them treated for HIV, and we can get them to that undetectable status at which point they're no longer a risk to the rest of the community and they can go on and have a healthy life that at this point is the same life expectancy as anybody else. Whereas when you criminalize it, you kind of force a lot of that stigma back onto the disease, which makes people not want to be tested. Um, there's been like multiple studies on whether or not that's effective. And I think the consensus right now is that um, criminalizing uh, HIV and STIs is not an effective strategy for prevention. That being said, it's certainly um, really important for anybody who is positive with something to know what risk they bring to the table. And to be proactive in preventing that. And oftentimes that is going to mean disclosing your status to a partner. You know, it's part of the old honesty thing. Anybody that is in the sexual lifestyle that isn't honest with their partners is like a time bomb. There could be a lot of issues. 
Yeah, honesty is absolutely important in any kind of um, relationship, particularly in a sexual relationship. Um, you need to be honest with yourself and your partners um, about everything, including uh, what risks are on the table. Well, you're absolutely right. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up here. Likey, thank you for joining us tonight. Met you at Frolicon this year. Very interesting uh, subjects you have. And uh, you've got a bunch more I think we'll get into uh, at a later time. Absolutely. I would love to speak more like specifically on like HIV and particularly on PrEP and how important access to PrEP is. It is, and we will have you back to uh, cover that one in great detail. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You have been listening to episode 180 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present Ruben's Dream on Body Shaming.